Hello and welcome to Shireside Chats, a new podcast from Fandom Forward featuring conversations with activists, writers, and leaders about the pop culture that made them who they are today. This show is independently produced by me on behalf of Fandom Forward. If you don't know Fandom Forward already, well, hello. Fandom Forward is a nonprofit organization that turns fans into heroes by making activism accessible through pop culture. For nearly 20 years, we've been empowering fans to move the needle on the biggest issues of our time, from climate change to LGBTQ rights to reproductive justice and much, much more. If you want to support our work, you can learn more at fandomforward.org and you can also find us on patreon.com forward slash fandomforward. If you become a Patreon supporter, you will help fund our fan activist campaigns and you'll help me continue to produce this podcast, which I very much hope to do. Our very first guests on Shireside Chats are Emily and Ellen Ladau, a mother-daughter duo who will be chatting with me about the TV show Gilmore Girls through the lens of disability. Emily Ladau is a passionate disability rights activist, writer, storyteller, and digital communications consultant whose career began at the age of 10 when she appeared on several episodes of Sesame Street to educate children about her life with a physical disability. Her writing has been published in outlets including New York Times, CNN, Vice, and HuffPost. Emily's first book, Demystifying Disability, was published by 10 Speed Press, an imprint of Penguin Random House, in September 2021. Emily has spoken before numerous audiences from the U.S. Department of Education to the United Nations. Central to all of Emily's work is harnessing the power of storytelling to engage people in learning about disability. Ellen Ladau is a disability rights advocate and Emily's mom, and she's very proud of both of these things. She's written for the Disabled Parenting Project and the Center for Disability Rights, appeared on podcasts including The Human Perspective and this one, and is the founder of the Larson Syndrome Resource Center. Emily and Ellen are also Gilmore Girls superfans, just like me, so I've invited them to have a conversation about how they identify with the mother-daughter relationship in the show, but also about the lens of disability. This conversation does feature a season two spoiler, but is otherwise spoiler-free, so if you haven't seen the first two seasons of Gilmore Girls, you might want to bookmark this episode for later. Now, onto the show. Welcome, Emily and Ellen, to Shireside Chats, the very first episode. I'm so excited. Me too. Oh my gosh. Amped. Yeah, very. Thank you. For, <laughs> I was so amped that I actually invited myself on. <laughs> that's that's a very Lorelai Gilmore thing to do, though. Yes. Like in terms of mother daughter duos, Lorelai, I could imagine if I invited Rory Gilmore onto a podcast, Lorelai would just sweet talk her way in and we would find ourselves in this bantering situation. Oh, we are absolutely Rory and Lorelai. So there is no denying that. <laughs> All right. Well, welcome to the show. Are you ready to get cozy? Yes, we have our lovely tea and biscuits ready to go. Courtesy of you. Thank yes, you so much. Thank you. I wanted to make this the coziest activism podcast there ever was. This is a podcast that is very much inspired by my favorite fandoms, one of them being Lord of the Rings, The Hobbit. And I also wanted to start with someone I knew I would actually invite over to have tea and biscuits at my apartment. Emily, you and I have known each other for a few years now. Do you remember how we met? Yeah. So 
I know we had kind of crossed paths before at different media related events. And then we were at this screening for Dietland and you came up and said hello to me. I will never forget how you responded because I had seen you a few times. I mean, you're pretty recognizable, but I just said, hey, I've seen you around. And and you just said, oh, what is it that you noticed about me? Was it my amazing butt? (laughs) Oh, yeah, I forgot that this is an audio medium and that they cannot see you. You, Do you want to talk a little bit about your your appearance? Yeah. So uh, I'm a wheelchair user and my mom is a wheelchair user. Yeah. So we both have really nice butts, don't we? Yes, we do. Big and noticeable. See, this is the thing. We can't talk about disability without making really terrible jokes about it. I think we just are those type of people. Well, it's funny because I had two reactions when you first made the amazing butt joke. One was, oh, my God, this person is shaped like a friend. She's amazing. I think we're going to be friends. I could see that from the beginning, from the first conversation that we had. And then the other thought was, oh, my God, she's going to think all I noticed was the wheelchair. And am I how do I respond to this? Am I saying the right things? As someone who considers herself an ally to disabled people, I have a lot of anxiety about what is the right thing to say? How do I speak with empathy um, and connect with people that in a way that feels genuine and, and respectful? In the time that I've known you, I have really learned a lot about not just your experience as a disabled person, but how to use the right language when speaking to or about people with disabilities or disabled people. I know that there are a lot of different ways to to switch up the language. Your recent book, Demystifying Disability, is a great primer um, for anyone who is curious about the disability community in insofar as there is one community. There are, there are many, many communities, as you said. Yeah, so that's the first thing that I like to remind people is disability in and of itself cannot be seen as a monolith because there's more than a billion disabled people in the world. So it's just not possible to lump us all under one community umbrella. So when I say community, I do so with the caveat that really it's just a very large group of a billion plus individuals who all happen to have a disability. Emily and I actually have the same genetic disability. Even uh, the two of us have had different experiences with the same disability. So I think that's important to point out. Yeah, you can't paint disability with a broad brush. And when I talk about disability and language, I always also give the caveat that There isn't a right answer. There is no one size fits all for language. And so when you mentioned, Sabrina, that you felt anxious or nervous, I understand that because it feels like there's almost too many rules. But I think that my major rule that I try to emphasize to people is that no one rule applies to every person, which I know sounds very complicated, but I think we can look at all identity conversations like that. Identity is a very deeply personal thing. It's almost as if you should treat individuals as if they are individuals. What a novel concept. Whoa. How about, you know, the old cliche, meet people where they're at? I like that. One thing that stood out to me in demystifying disability was this metaphor that you used, Emily, about how being disabled is like being a pizza. And I like that because I love pizza. I mean, who doesn't love pizza? 
This is also very relevant because Rory and Lorelai eat pizza all, all the time. The time. <laughs> <laughs> I think I, I think pizza is one of those cornerstones of of Gilmore Girls in the way that coffee is. Oh yes, but see, we don't drink we don't coffee. Drink. I, that that's where we diverge from being Rory and Lorelai. But anyway, back to the pizza thing. So I tried to come up with a way to get people to understand that at our foundations, we are all human beings. So that would be the crust of the pizza. But there's diversity within how that crust is prepared. And so it could be a cauliflower crust, it could be a gluten free crust, it could be, you know, a regular old pizza crust from a dollar slice place in New York City, doesn't matter. But The point is that we all have that human foundation and then that in and of itself is diverse. And then we begin to add our toppings and the toppings are different facets of our upbringing, of our culture, of our community, of our identity, what we like and what we enjoy. It's just everything that makes us who we are. And so there's never been the same pizza made twice, no matter how many times you put the same ingredients on a pizza, it's going to come out slightly differently. And I think that's kind of the beautiful thing is that we're working with similar foundations that ultimately create the pizza or the human being. But at the end of the day, you are your own pizza. And a lot of people are like, wow, that's so reductive. You just call it human beings pizzas. But I'm like, who doesn't get the concept of pizza? Like, it's... I think one of the great unifying things of humanity. I don't know. <laughs> this podcast is making me hungry. If both of you were pizzas, I think you would be Defara Pizza, the best pizza in New York. Oh, we have to we have to go there. We have not been there. Yeah, it's Anthony Bourdain said it was the best pizza he ever had. So who am I to argue with Anthony well, Bourdain? She authority. She authority. Yeah, Avi, if you were a pizza, what kind of pizza would you want to be? Oh, oh, okay. So I love white slices with spinach. So like cheese, garlic, spinach. That's my jam. That would be my pizza. What's your pizza? Oh, you know, I like a veggie pizza. No olives. (laughs) Veggie pizza, no olives. Yeah, that would be us. I would probably want to be a sausage and mushroom pizza, but most importantly, I would want to be the kind of pizza that gets Andrew Tate arrested in Romania. That's really my priority. Yeah, I would like to be the kind of pizza that Greta Thunberg would be proud of. Let's talk about fandom. So what fandoms are you a part of and what stories do you geek out about? So I had to give this a good think because I am not part of a lot of the typical fandoms. You know, in so many ways, I feel like I missed the boat on Harry Potter, which I know is controversial, but I have not read a single Harry Potter book. I've not seen a single Lord of the Rings movie. I just somehow did not get on board the fandom train, but I would say later in my life, I really started becoming connected to different television shows. So Parks and Recreation and Schitt's Creek and just really diving into stuff like that. And then Gilmore Girls has kind of become a mutual fandom with my mom. Yes. Really, the major theme of Gilmore Girls to me is about family and what does it mean for a daughter to be just like a mother, both in terms of 
what you want for your children and also not repeating mistakes. Yeah, I actually think that's pretty powerful for us because I see Lorelai looking at Rory as a second chance in a way. I see Rory as the manifestation of a lot of the things that Lorelai wishes that she could have had or that she could have done. And it's not that she begrudges Rory any of that. She's Rory's best friend, biggest fan. But as I am yours. <laughs> right. I I think that is something that resonates with us really deeply in terms of their mother-daughter relationship is the fact that they are best friends. They annoy the heck out of each other. All the time. <laughs> but they also get along so well and support each other no matter what. And I know, you know, mom, you and I have talked about like how a lot of the things that I do now are things that you wish that you could have done. I really wish I could have had a do do over. There's so much difference in growing up with a disability today versus the way I grew up. I really feel like one just one quick example would be Mm -hmm. my college experience. If I had a motorized wheelchair, it would have greatly reduced my fatigue uh, so that from getting around campus all day so that by 10 o'clock at night when all the action was starting I was getting in bed because just physically so wiped out so there's just so many things that if they could have been different it would have made a huge difference in my own disability experience and there's that huge theme with Rory and Lorelai around Rory going to college Mm -hmm. and Lorelai not having had that traditional college experience because she was raising Rory. And so that's cool. I really didn't make the college connection just until you said that. Well, (laughs) look at that. Learning things about ourselves every day. The point of this podcast is really to think about how do our favorite stories become embedded in us and shape us into who we are. I know that I started watching Gilmore Girls after school on a little channel called ABC Family. I refuse to acknowledge Freeform. To me, it will always be ABC Family. I think I started watching Gilmore Girls in around 2003, 2004. I remember the first season that I watched as it was airing was season five, which was Rory's sophomore year in college. And it's pretty much been lodged in my bones ever since. So I'm wondering when you started watching Gilmore Girls. Well, I also would watch on ABC Family after school. I had the TV on while I was doing my homework. And that was how I started. But then many years later, like I had already graduated college. I think my mom and I were just looking for something to kind of pass the time in a way, something that we could do together, hang out, pass the time. So we mm-hmm. started watching from the very beginning and blew through it and yeah, definite binge. loved it. This was like the earlier days of binging things, I would say. And then more recently, within the last like two months, we decided we were far enough removed from having watched the whole thing that we should start again from the beginning. And so now every night uh, before bed, we watch 
a couple of episodes, we honestly have to control ourselves because we will like blow through three there was episodes. There a couple nights we did three. Yeah. <laughs> we just like blow through it. But then I find I can't fall asleep because I'm too riled up. Yeah, we get really <laughs> excited and into it. But I would say for this rewatch, something's hitting different and we're just so much more into it. Like we're completely invested. We've always loved it, but it feels like this time is kind of seeping into our veins. Gilmore Girls for me is the show that I have on a loop. My husband has watched every Gilmore Girls episode at least five times just by osmosis. Like he sits there and I'm just watching while I'm doing other things. And he'll say, didn't you watch this one like last week? And I'll say, yeah. I mean, I'll rewatch my favorite episodes. I don't particularly watch them in order. Sometimes I'll start with season two, which is where I generally like to start. I think that it picks up quite a bit after season one. Not a very popular opinion. A lot of people love the first season. My favorites are seasons two through four. I'll watch all the way up to season six and then usually stop there. I don't really love season seven. Didn't love the revival. To any of my friends from the cast of Gilmore Girls who are listening to this, I am sorry. (laughs) I actually am an advisor to a fandom startup called Remarcus, which was co-founded by John Cabrera, who is an entrepreneur, but also an actor. He was Brian Fuller on Gilmore Girls. Lane's geeky bandmate who lived with her and, and with Zach. I actually have watched the show many, many times, but... Last year, I actually had this very special opportunity to watch all of Gilmore Girls with John, who had never seen the show before. We undertook this amazing, very ambitious project where we watched Gilmore Girls every night for, I want to say it was like six months. It it took a really long time, but it was with groups of fans and John would invite his friends from the show. So we got to meet Sean Gunn, who plays Kirk, Keiko Ajena, who played Lane, many, many, many actors from the show and not just actors, but crew members as well and writers and casting directors and just people who have given us a real sense of what it took to create a show like that. And I know so much trivia about Gilmore Girls now. Like I said, it lives in my bones. Let's talk about the theme of community in Gilmore Girls and how that has inspired you as a disability rights activist. Where do you see Gilmore Girls as this ideal for the life that you want to live? So I have so many conflicting feelings about Gilmore Girls because on the one hand, it's this very tight-knit, idyllic community. And that is something that I definitely did not experience growing up. But I think that it shows a lack of diversity within that tight knit community. And I think that that was part of why I struggled to fit into my own community growing up was because I was sort of on the outside of everything. So I grew up in a very Catholic conservative, non-disabled town, if you will. And uh, I am a Jewish Jewish girl who grew up in a democratic household with a physical disability. And so I think Gilmore Girls maybe fulfills that little part of me that had always been looking for that really idyllic sort of community because we don't even talk to our next door neighbors. Yeah, we just happened to get the an unfriendly street. 
across the street were friendly but yeah but but I think again like the thing is that the people who we live across the street from moved here from another country and so I think that we're sort of the odd people out on the street in a way um and we've become very close but it's that sense of community where you could just walk out of your house and go to the diner and I know we're referencing cheers here but the place where everybody knows your name but Gilmore Girls is like that too and since we don't have that I think that Gilmore Girls really allows us to like get lost in that feeling yeah I agree I mean there are there are businesses on the street that do know our, do you, know, do you our know our names, names. <laughs> yeah I imagine that there's an added layer of distance if you are physically disabled and you don't necessarily live in a walkable city. Yeah. So we can get certain places, but there's a limit before you have to start driving. Really, I think that the underlying idea of why people love Stars Hollow so much is that it's a really nice walkable city where you can somehow get everything you need. I really don't understand that because most small towns in America aren't exactly like that, but um, it's fiction. That I mean, if I took my wheelchair from my house, I could get my basic needs done, but it's not with that super friendly, everybody knows your business kind of thing. Yeah, it's more small talk as opposed to the closer knit relationships in Stars Hollow. Yeah. I wanted to ask you about the disability representation in Gilmore Girls. I know I can't think of any off the top of my head, but I do know that many disabled Gilmore Girls fans or neurodivergent Gilmore Girls fans have made TikTok content that interprets various characters, especially Lorelai and Kirk, as either autistic or neurodivergent in some way. And I'm wondering what your thoughts are on fanon representation of people who use mobility aids, wheelchairs, or people with disabilities in Gilmore Girls or or your fandoms generally? There's definitely a way to read a character as representing a disability or as having a disability, even if they don't specifically acknowledge that they have one. And so I think Kirk is a perfect example. To me, he definitely reads as autistic. And I would consider that a form of representation, even if it is complicated and sometimes lacks nuance but it's there you can kind of put yourself and inject yourself into how you see certain characters but as people with mobility disabilities we don't really see any of ourselves in Gilmore Girls uh there was an episode recently Taylor was in a wheelchair yeah Taylor injured himself somehow and was rolling around in a power wheelchair And I literally turned to my mom and I was like, are you just cringing waiting for the wheelchair joke? (laughs) Yes, we were. But it wasn't that terrible. No, it could have been a lot worse. But (laughs) yeah, there's a lot of... uh, Lack of representation. Yeah. And there's a lot of places where I feel like you can read a character as having some type of disability, but that very visible representation is not there. Why do Mm -hmm. people consider Lorelai on... I wonder if Lorelai has... ADHD, honestly. Yeah, that's something that I I don't think that she is read as autistic. I think she's definitely read as neurodivergent by some people, just kind of by the way her mind operates. I think that there are certain things about the show that 
you know, certain clips that fans take and they say, oh, that's so me. And they happen to be talking about disability and their experience of disability or or their lived experience as a marginalized person generally. Unfortunately, there's a lot of ableism in the show, but then there are also issues of representation broadly for people of color, for queer people. In Gilmore Girls, as you've been watching, have there been any moments where you just really cringed because of instances of ableism? Fortunately, quite a number. (laughs) But the funny thing is, the last time we watched it, I do not remember completely losing my mind over some of these moments. And your activism and your advocacy weren't as developed at that time. So it it wasn't the lens that you watched everything through. That's true. And now I find myself cringing like once per episode, at least. And I still, I need to give the caveat. I love Gilmore Girls. You will pry my Gilmore Girls fandom from my cold, dead hands, no matter how problematic it is. And I realize that's probably problematic to say in and of itself. But you know what? We all have our problematic fandoms. (laughs) And I can also watch it with that critical lens. And we've been getting increasingly frustrated because they just throw around disability-related slurs like the R word. Yeah, midget. The R word, which I will not even say midget, which I would prefer not to say, but I'm only saying so that people understand that the M word is a slur. Uh, Gimpy. Gimpy. There's been references to needing to put someone in the insane asylum or being special. I mean, and these things are part of the jokes and the banter. But the two that really got me were when Rory is freaking out because she needs to do her extracurricular activities so that she can get accepted into an Ivy League school. And she says that she needs to find a kid who is R word and teach him how to play baseball. And then there's a scene like later on where Emily is helping Suki plan her wedding. And they're like, we need to get a bunch of M words as entertainment at the wedding. And I was like, what? And that seems to be a byproduct of early 2000s television. Mm -hmm. They just thought it was okay to throw those words around. Yeah. Well, I think that the moral of all of this, at least to me, is that we can enjoy content for what it is, unless, you know, it's overtly problematic in some way. There's an intention I don't know. It's 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 a really complicated question. I think with Gilmore Girls, I obviously feel comfortable watching it over and over again. As an activist and a fan activist in particular, what I try to do is champion those fan representations and the conversations that fans want to be having about diversity and 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 seeing yourself in a form of media even if that media was very basic mid 2000s early 2000s teen dramedy and but by doing these kind of things and analyzing the shows you know many years after they aired and hopefully if the next Gilmore Girls gets produced there'll be much more awareness uh, about the language that they use. So I think podcasts such as yours, it's more than just talking about a show. It's hopefully raising that awareness so that future shows will eliminate a lot of that ableist language 
Yeah. I mean, that's my hope. I Look, I know that there are a lot of creators who push back against the so-called cancel culture. And I actually think that shows like this podcast really stand to open up the conversation and show that it's not just, hey, we're canceling people left and right. Um, I think Emily's book is a really great example of this is what inclusion and inclusivity looks like. It doesn't have to be about following every rule perfectly to a T. It's about reframing how you build these worlds, reframing how you treat people and really just leading with empathy, which ideally, you know, that's what creators will do. Yeah. I'm a big believer in calling people in whenever possible instead of calling out. And so for me, a big priority is not necessarily coming towards a person with anger, but saying you have done this thing that I do not appreciate. And I hope that you will know better moving forward. And I hope that you will continue to learn and continue to grow and continue to evolve in your thinking and your understanding. And I don't want to dismiss Gilmore Girls out of hand because of language that was used. Rather, my hope is that all these years later, if people who worked on Gilmore Girls are working on other shows, that they are more cognizant of how they can be more inclusive in the worlds that they are creating. So I see Gilmore Girls as an artifact of its time, something that I love dearly, and something that also shows us what we can improve upon. Well said. Well, thank you so much for joining me on the show. I know we are pretty much out of time. Is there anything else that you would like to share with our audience before you go? Just that we always welcome people to talk to us about Gilmore Girls. So (laughs) come find us on the internet and talk to us about Gilmore Girls. It'll be fun. And where can people follow you on the internet? I'm probably the more reachable one. Um, you can find me on Instagram at Emily Ladau. You can find me on Twitter at Emily underscore Ladau. I'm on the Facebooks at Words I Wheel By. Um, I'm also on LinkedIn because I'm a nerd. Find me on the interwebs. I'm always happy for a conversation. Uh, I'll just say that Ladau is spelled L A D A U. That's man in it. Linda, it's not Landau. So if you do that, you will not you find, will not find us. And... Typical mom thinking of everything. <laughs> well, thank you both, Emily and Ellen, for joining me on this first yes, episode been. of Shireside Chats. Shireside Chats is an independent production of Fandom Forward. Special thanks to Brian Carton, Tom Nicoper, and Claire Tai. To follow us and learn more about supporting fan activism, visit fandomforward.org.